when I was uh, chaplain at Hofstra University, I knew this kid, or I, I came to know this kid. Um, he came up to me one evening after Mass, a Sunday Mass. Uh, he was a, I think he was a freshman. And uh, he asked if he could set up a time to talk. And he wanted to, he wanted to talk about something I had said at that Mass uh, in the homily that he wasn't comfortable with. Uh, he was very, very respectful, but he just had an issue with something I said. And um, it had something to do with forgiveness, kind of our obligation to forgive. And I don't remember what the gospel was, but you could probably guess it. It was probably either one of the parables about forgiveness, the prodigal son, the lost sheep, or maybe just one of the teachings, you know, turning of the cheek, love your enemy, pray for your persecutors. It had to be, I'm sure it was one of those. I don't really remember. But this was his point, ultimately. He came by, and we met, and he just, he said that, uh, he thought that there were certain people that we just shouldn't have to forgive because of what they've done. I mean, I, I it was clear that I had, uh, I hit some, I struck some nerve in this kid. Well, when we met, uh, I realized pretty quickly what the nerve was or who, who the nerve was that I struck. And it was his alcoholic father. And he proceeded to tell me about his family, the family that this kid grew up in. And he said, basically, his father ruined his childhood. Everybody, all of his siblings were scarred from this guy's drinking. You remember he said that his mother looked like an old woman, but she wasn't. Like she wasn't close to being old, but she looked it just because of what he kind of put her through. It described this kind of almost like a schizophrenic atmosphere in his family. You never knew what you were going to get with him so as a result, you kind of reacted to this constant uncertainty, this anxiety. Um, like you never got off, they never got off the roller coaster, the emotional roller coaster. Broken promises, constant disappointment. And then he'd show up and then he'd be kind of like, uh, he'd be the king. He'd, do, he'd be buying them stuff, so everything would be good for a little while. Completely manipulated the situation. He talked about embarrassment and how they became experts, the family, masters at kind of covering the whole thing up so nobody outside of the house knew about this. Ruined holidays. It was just a, it was a very sad picture that he painted. The collateral damage was kind of everywhere. Well, eventually his mother put him out and... Uh, and then he said he was sort of MIA for a couple of years. Nobody really saw much of him at all. And then he got sober. They were shocked, but he got sober. And uh, like legitimately so, very much entered into AA. And he wanted back, or he at least wanted some kind of a relationship, at least with his kids. I mean, I think he knew that the, the marriage was probably over. 
Well, anyway, this kid wasn't having any of it. Um, the idea of making things right or forgiving his father after what he'd done. And I guess this Sunday evening at Hofstra, me talking about having to sort of forgive everybody all the time, he was kind of like, no way, I'm just, I'm not. And he was a great kid. I mean, I, I did get to know him somewhat. Uh, super, like just a very responsible, mature, disciplined, faithful kid. But this forgiveness thing was sort of a deal breaker, at least at that point in his life. He told me in that conversation that when he was in high school, Stephen McDonald, the police officer, spoke at his, at an assembly in his school. And he talked about how he forgave the guy who paralyzed him. And how he forgave him, really, even before the guy asked for forgiveness. Stephen and his wife forgave him. And he was in awe of that, and he respected it, and he clearly admired Stephen. Except this forgiveness piece. Like that, he was just like, I don't know. And he talked more about, I think he was almost trying to argue or build an argument for his, his verdict, which was, I'm not going to forgive. So he talked more about his, I guess, the damage that was done to his siblings. His sister was a, had married a guy who was, a, who was an alcoholic. Like she was like, he couldn't, it was like he married, she married everything she ran away from. And another a brother of his who battled drugs and just a litany of bad choices on the part of most of his siblings. This guy was a wrecking ball, his father. And now he wanted to be back in their lives, at least in some way. The wrecking ball had reformed. So what do you do, or what do you have to do when the wrecking ball has reformed? I think on some level that's what he was struggling with. He was kind of saying, no, I'm not going to forgive, but he wouldn't have even been talking to me if he wasn't struggling. So what do you do? when the wrecking ball has reformed. Well, I think this gospel says something to it. I wish, I wish I had, I had referenced this parable when I was talking to him. I'm sure I didn't. I'm, I'm not very good at, sometimes when I'll talk to someone with a, a question or a problem or a, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find a scripture argument to, to kind of, to make my point, and I'm just, I'm, I'm not good at that. I wish I, I ought to be better at it than I am, and I'm sure I didn't, I would have loved to have mentioned this parable to him. The servants went out into the streets and they gathered all that they found, the bad and the good, and the hall was filled with guests. Even the wrecking ball gets an invitation. You know, I think this parable 
makes everybody uncomfortable, I think. It's such a, it's an odd parable. It's, I think it frustrates all of us to some degree. For that kid, well, we know why. This idea that everybody's invited. The good and the bad are invited to the, to the feast. Well, he had a tough time with that. But then you get part two of the, of the parable. The last paragraph that I read, it's almost like the opposite of the first couple of paragraphs. They've invited, the guy has invited everybody to the wedding. One of the guests who shows up and the, the king walks over to him and he gives him the boot. He says, you're out. He just got invited in and now he's telling him he's out because of what he was wearing or what he wasn't wearing. The, his wedding garment is said. Well, which is it? Is everybody invited? Or is it selective? I guess it's both, because both are referenced. Both are part of the parable. So some degree, it must be both. You know, this wedding garment, you know, the scripture experts, they say, you know, that's... They didn't really have a wedding garment. Guests didn't really have a wedding garment. You know, the bride and the groom did. Some traditional outfit, like today, I guess. You know, not like today, but we do the same thing today. But the guest was like, it wasn't like this particular garment. At least that's what they say. So that doesn't really even make a lot of sense. So it, was, it probably was a metaphor. They would most think Jesus meant by the guy who wasn't dressed properly was this. Something wasn't right. Something about his life wasn't right. It wasn't good. And it needed to be confronted. It needed to be dealt with. And it wasn't his clothes. It was something much more significant than what he was wearing. So the king, who's God, says, go make it right. Go fix what's broken. And then you come back to the party. But you can't just show up when things are broken if you got no intention of making it right. You know, we, Patty Ann McDonald, Stephen's wife, spoke at St. Mary's about, I guess about two years ago, at a women's night. People were out the door. It was packed. Choir loft was full. You know, most people know the story. I'd say everybody pretty much who was there that night, you know, knew, knew the story, knew Patty Ann's story, Stephen's story. But they wanted to be there. I wonder why. Maybe it's because they were just drawn to something. Maybe because we're all drawn to something. And if the guys hadn't been allowed, they would have been there too. It wasn't just a women's thing. It just happened to be a women's night. In fact, guys did show up. Some guys <laughs> hid in the choir loft because they really wanted to hear what she had to say. Because they know deep down what Stephen and Patty Ann did in forgiving that guy. Like, that is the way to be. That's who we should be. As hard as it is, as almost seemingly impossible as we think it is, we're like, we're drawn toward it because we're wired toward it. 
And I'm betting that's why the church was packed. But we're also not comfortable with it, right? Aren't we on a lot of levels that kid who spoke to me? Like, he just wasn't comfortable with this I've got to forgive everybody thing. I've got to forgive the wrecking ball. This uncomfortability thing, that's important for us to think about too. Because I think sometimes we think church has got to be comfortable. Faith has got to be, it's just got to make us feel good all the time. Like, I don't know where that came from. It's like somebody hijacked what religion is supposed to be about. And it's not supposed to be about just making us uncomfortable. But the fact of the matter is like, Christianity is tough. So at times we should be uncomfortable, right? Unless we're a bunch of saints. Listen to this quote, this is from uh, C.S. Lewis, the theologian and the great writer. He said, I, don't, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. A nice bottle of wine will do that. If you want a religion to make you feel comfortable, I don't recommend Christianity. Well, he was right. We shouldn't come here just to be comfortable because it's just not going to work. You have this great quote from Pope Benedict. The world offers you comfort, but you weren't made for comfort. You were made for greatness. What does that mean? I mean, I, might it mean this? The great ones, the people that we encounter, the great people in our lives, they weren't people who just, they didn't flee discomfort. They didn't go looking for it. And I don't think the gospel is asking us to go looking for it. That would be crazy. But when the gospel challenges us, when life challenges us, we don't run. We don't run from it. The people who don't run become the great ones. I did a funeral this morning for a woman who was talking to her. She was in her, I think she was 88. I was talking to her kids last night. She had five kids in seven years. And then her husband left. So she raised, essentially raised the, the five alone. The oldest was seven. And the last two were twins, to make it even crazier. And they just talked about how she just did it. And how as the kids, they were, you know, they took it for granted, but now as adults, they look back and they're like, man, what she did, you know what she didn't do? She didn't run from discomfort. Well, neither can we, and neither should we. So, what's your wrecking ball? Or who's your wrecking ball? He is invited to the feast. And he can stay if he's doing it right. Says Jesus. The wrecking ball is welcome if he's reformed. Well, I'm just not comfortable with that. That's right. Neither am I. 
But it's the truth. 